the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Take out every stain. 
had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make reconciliation, atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, Holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and the high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house. If we hold on to our courage and hope of which we boast, so as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me for forty years. They saw what I did. That's why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray. They've not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the courage we had at first. 
as has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. I've just shared with you Hebrews, the third chapter. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I want to share with you today some very serious things. This is a journey we're on. It's not a journey from now until you die. It's a journey from now for eternity. And what you do between now and when you die will determine where the journey will take you after you die. And you know we have 100% mortality. All of us will die. But we get to determine now what our future will be. And the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, don't harden your heart. What's he talking about? Don't harden your heart as they did in the rebellion. What did they do in the rebellion? They refused to believe and obey the living God. Instead, they obeyed their traditions. They obeyed the culture that they had been raised in, which was the wicked Egyptian culture. Now, please, if you plan to spend eternity with Jesus, if you plan to avoid hell and win heaven, you're going to have to let go of your culture and your beliefs and your practices and not harden your heart, but instead earnestly search after this man Jesus, for there is no other way under heaven by which you can be saved except through Jesus. You cannot be saved through Allah or Buddha or any of the Hindu gods. You can't be saved through Shintoism. You need a God who is alive. Jesus is the only one who is alive. Muhammad is long dead. Allah, a false god. Now, you may say, Pastor, that makes me angry. It's not my purpose to make you angry, but it is my purpose to speak very forthrightly about the journey you're on and the way you're progressing in that journey. Do you have the peace of God in your heart? Do you have the assurance of God's love in your heart? Are you walking in obedience to his commands? I want to share some thoughts today from the book Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim, or Christian, has just come through the Valley of Humiliation where he was tested and tried and utterly shamed and yet in the end won the victory because he allowed his heart to be humbled 
And then he went into the valley of the shadow of death where every attack was made again in the inner part of his being. Every fear, everything he'd held on to, he had to let go of all of it. He had to follow the narrow way. And now he's joined a companion that's now Christian and faithful, making their way toward the celestial city in this allegory. This is the most famous allegory in the English language. It was published in 1670s. It's been continuously published since then. There's no other book except the Bible that has been published more than Pilgrim's Progress. It's unfortunate that in our culture today, we've lost Pilgrim's Progress. But believe me, I want to make progress. Now, before I share this, I want to just say quickly, there's one thing that blocks my progress faster than any other single thing. And I keep making the same mistake. And I keep getting beaten by Moses for making this mistake. I somehow think God needs some help to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And so I mix my finger in it. I mix my words in it. And I mess everything up. And I cause myself, by my choices and decisions, a great deal of pain and anguish and difficulty. I've just made a vow again this morning before the Lord. I will wait upon the Lord. I will do the assignment he's given me, which is to do this broadcast, <clears throat> to lead this worship service for the National Prayer Chapel, to visit and teach as he calls me to, and nothing else. I'm going to wait upon the Lord for his direction. So watch what happens. I, I'm going to share it. It's a little meandering, but it's a story. It's an allegory. But I want to get at the deeper meanings that will become plain to you today. He's asked by Christian, Faithful, did you meet with any assaults on your journey? In other words, did anybody attack you as you were making your way toward the celestial city? He says, When I came to the foot of the hill called Difficulty, I met a very old man who asked me my name and destination. I told him that I was a pilgrim going to the celestial city. And the old man said to me, You look like an honest fellow. Would you come to work for me for the wages that I'll be willing to give you? Well, I asked him his name and where he lived. He said his name was Adam the First, and he lived in the town called Deceit. I then asked him what sort of work he had for me to do and what were the wages he would pay. He told me that his work included many wonderful things. And for wages, he would make me heir to his entire estate. I further asked him what sort of house he lived in and what other servants he had. He told me that his house was maintained with all of the wonderful things of the world and that his servants were all relatives of his. Then I asked if he had any children, and he said, Yes, I have three daughters, Lust of the Flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. 
Then he told me that I could marry any one of them I wished. And I asked for how long a time he would have me live with him, and he told me that I would live with him as long as he lived. Well, what was the outcome of this discussion? Christian asked. Well, at first I found myself inclined to go with the man, for I thought that his offer sounded very inviting. Faithful said, But as I looked at his forehead, and as I spoke with him, I saw written, Put off the old man and his deeds. Okay, so what do we have here? Faithful is on the journey. He's offered a position that looks very rewarding. He's offered a position where he can have lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or pride of life for his wife. Well, most of you would say, oh, we don't want lust of the flesh and we don't want lust of the eyes, but this pride of life business, what's that about? Well, you know it comes from the book of First John where he says, love not the world. And he says, the world is made up of lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What's the pride of life? It's a sense in our being Look what I've accomplished. I'm somebody. You better respect me because I'm entitled to respect from you because of what I have and what I've done. And I'll share with you, I'll tell you the story of of all that I've accomplished. This is often an old man's disease where he spends his time reviewing all of his wonderful life for you in detail. But it's also the sin of the young. Look at where I'm at. Look at the income I have. Look at the car I drive. Look at, hey, I'm the man. Hmm. Well, he says, I found myself somewhat inclined to go with this man. That is, to go to the opportunities of the world. Not to wait on the Lord and not to seriously pursue the journey toward the celestial city. But he sees this written on the old man's head, put off the old man with his deeds. Then it came rushing into my mind that despite his flattering words, I would be a slave in his house. So, I asked him to stop talking, and I told him I would not come near the door of his house. Well, he cursed me, and he told me he would send someone after me who would make me very bitter of soul. So I turned to go away from him, but just as I turned to go, I felt him take a hold of my flesh and give me such a deadly pinch that I thought he'd pulled a part of me off. It made me shriek, "'Oh, wretched man!' You recognize that from Romans, the seventh chapter. Oh, wretched man. Because the devil's pinch is very painful. And he will do everything he can to entice us to fit in with the world's culture and values and not to separate ourselves unto God. And we come up with such such lies in our spirit. We come up with 
Well, I have imputed grace. Grace is everything. It, it has me covered. I'm okay. I'm on my way to heaven. Even though you're bitter of heart and a grumbler and walk in known sin and rebellion against God, it doesn't matter. God will make up the difference. I just have to do the best I can do. No. The old flesh, the old man, has to die. You have to become a new person in Christ. Now he says, when I'd climbed about halfway up this hill of difficulty, I looked behind and saw someone coming after me, swift as the wind. Soon he overtook me, just about the place where the arbor stands. Oh, that's the place, said Christian, where I sat down to rest, fell asleep, and lost my scroll. Dear brother, hear me out, Faithful said. So as soon as the man overtook me, without saying a word, he struck me and knocked me unconscious. When I came to, I asked him, Why have you assaulted me? He said that it was because of my secret inclination to follow Adam the first. And with that, he struck me another blow in the chest and beat me down backward, and I lay at his feet as if I were dead. So when I came to, I cried to him for mercy, but he said, I don't know how to show mercy, and with that he knocked me down again. He would have beaten me to death, except one came by and told him to stop. Well, who was it that told him to stop? Fearful said, I didn't recognize him at first, but as he went by, I saw the wounds in his hands and in his side, and I concluded that he was our Lord. So then I continued on up the hill. Christian then explained, The man who overtook you was Moses. He spares no one. He does not know how to show mercy to anyone who transgresses his law. Well, I know that very well. It was not the first time that he'd met with me. He was the one who came to me when I lived securely at home. He told me he would burn my house over my head if I didn't flee. Christian asked, But didn't you see the house that stood on the top of the hill, on the side of the hill where Moses met you? Oh, yes, I saw the lions also before I even came near the house. I think they were asleep. It was about noon. Because I had so much of the day ahead of me, I passed by the porter and came down the hill. Yeah, the porter saw me. He saw you go by, Christian said. I wish you'd visited the house, for they would have shown you many rarities that you would have remembered the rest of your life. But tell me, did you meet anyone else in the Valley of Humiliation? Let's stop a minute. What Bunyan is trying to say is that we will get beaten, we will get put off and put down, and God will leave us if we go to our own desires and our own will and we refuse to abide in Christ, as it says in the third chapter of Hebrews. I urge you also read carefully the fourth chapter. There is yet a day of salvation. It's a Sabbath rest that you enter into salvation. The Sabbath was Jesus. 
It is Jesus. He is our rest seven days a week. We don't depart out of that. How would we depart out of it? By following the inclination of our hearts to do it our way. To follow the inclination of our hearts, even out of the kindness of our hearts, to do it our way, a way that we think will give us an advantage, but it's not God's way. And when we step out of God's way, the law of Moses comes and beats us until we flee back to the rest of God under the wing of Jesus and his protection. Some of you today have been feeling the blows of the law in your life. And you've been crying out to God and saying, why am I getting so beat up? Why am I suffering this way? Well, Sunday we had a wonderful sermon. Mark Dane was the preacher. And he walked us through the book of First and Second Peter and pointed out very clearly in a very powerful way that there are two kinds of suffering spoken of by Peter. One is the suffering that is caused by our moving out from under the wing of God and we are on our own and we're sinning against God. We're not following his way. We're, we're doing what we think is best and because of the foolish decisions we make, we are brought into great suffering. And Peter says, when you finally suffered enough for your own mistakes and your own willfulness and your own pursuit of darkness, when you finally have suffered enough for that, you will be done with sin. I can tell you now, in this story, faithful is done with sin. He does not want to get beaten up by Moses again. He is going to stay under the wing of God. How about you? Are you getting beat up? If so, it's either because you're still walking in sin, you're still willful, you're still going after what you want, you're not pursuing the living God of heaven, and you have no peace of God in your heart, Instead, you're in turmoil and upset, confused, wondering what's going on here. There's another kind of suffering that Mark pointed out in our message on Sunday, and that is when a man is done with sin or a woman is finished with sin and they've utterly committed their heart to Jesus Christ, and they now move out and begin to share that gospel with others and call others to leave their sin, to be washed in the blood of Jesus, to be transformed into a new creature. Can I say this to you? It is impossible to serve Jesus under the law. It's impossible to serve Jesus when you've not been born from above. The old man can't serve Jesus. The old man has to die. And he'll constantly get beaten up by Moses and the law until we finally recognize we've got to give up our life for Jesus. And when we give up our life for Jesus, 
we surrender. Now, please, I'm not speaking philosophically. I'm speaking very directly about practical living and life. When you go take the job you want because it pays a better salary, you're going to get beat up by Moses. When you deliberately act on your own, you are going to lie down in torment. Isaiah 50 is very clear about this. When you make the choices and the decisions about your life, you are going to be in serious trouble. Now, you say, oh, but pastor, there are people who are making all of their own decisions about life. Mr. Bloomberg, super wealthy, making his own choices and decisions, doesn't serve Jesus. No, he's having his heaven right now. But I can tell you, on the inside, he's in misery. There's no peace of God. It's all about him and his strategies. Warren Buffett, same deal. Full of self. Proud of their accomplishments, but never have enough. Want more. Unfair. Please hear me. If you want the peace of God in your heart, you're going to have to do it God's way. And I think I'm doing it God's way, but I've become impatient, and so I take actions and I say things that are not God's way. They're my way. Painted with a brush on the outside to say, this is what Jesus is saying, but in, inside, no, it's my way. And then I get beat up. And I say, why? Well, be done with your sin. Stay in God's way. And then we stay in God's way. Cheer up. It's only going to get worse. Because then we suffer for the kingdom of Jesus. And Peter says that is a great honor to suffer for the name of Jesus. That's a great honor to be considered worthy of someone cursing you because you're following Jesus. There's not the pain in your heart. There's the joy in your heart. The certainty that you are following after the way of the pilgrim Jesus as he makes his way now to finally bringing earth to its, to its end and starting a whole new earth without sin and without pain and anguish and darkness. Let me share some more with you. Yes, I met someone named Discontent who would have gladly persuaded me to go back with him. His reasoning was that the valley was altogether without honor. That is, the valley of humiliation. He told me that if I went into the valley, I would be disobeying all my friends, such as Pride, arrogance, self-conceit, worldly glory. Are those your friends? Those are not the friends of Jesus. 
He said they would be very much offended if I made a fool of myself by going through the Valley of Humiliation. Someone said to me, Pastor, how are you going to save face in this situation? I said, no, no, no. I don't have any face to save anymore. I belong to Jesus. I'm just going to walk straight and clean and honestly with love and kindness and mercy. I don't have to worry about saving face because mine's gone. Christian asks, how did you answer him? I told him that even though all of those he had named had once been my kindred, well, undeniably they were my relatives, according to the flesh. They had disowned me since I'd become a pilgrim, and I had also rejected them. Therefore they had no more claim on me than those who had never been of my lineage. I told him, moreover, that he had misrepresented the valley of humiliation, for before there is any honor there is humility and a haughty spirit comes before a fall. So I told him that I would rather go through this valley to find the honor that true wise men seek rather than choose those things that this man and his worldly friends think most worthy of their affections. Well, did you meet anybody else in the valley of humiliation? Yes, Faithful said, I met with a man named Shane. However, of all the men that I've met in my pilgrimage, I think he bears the wrong name. The others would leave me after a little argumentation, but this bold-faced Shane would never leave me. Well, what did, what did he say to you? He objected to the way of Jesus itself. He said it was pitiful, low, sneaking business for a man to consider following Jesus. He said that a tender conscience is an unmanly thing and that I would be the object of ridicule if I watched over my words and ways and did not allow myself the liberties to which the brave spirits of the times accommodate themselves. He also observed that not many mighty, rich, or wise follow this way. Most of the pilgrims, he said, were disreputable, powerless, and poor. He said that those who follow the way are out of step with the times in which they live, proving their ignorance and lack of understanding in all the natural sciences. Yes, he railed against many things. For example, he said it was a shame to sit regretful and mournful under a sermon and a shame to come home sighing and groaning. groaning. He thought it a shame to ask my neighbor's forgiveness for petty offenses or to make restitution when I had taken away something that belonged to another. He said that religion estranges men from the company of great men who will tolerate vices. Is not this shame? And what did you say to him? Well, first, I didn't know what to say to him. He put my mind in such a spin that the blood rushed to my head. Shame almost silenced me. But then I began to consider that 
that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to God. And I began to consider that shame was telling me what men were like, but nothing about what God or the Word of God is like. Moreover, I realized that on the day of judgment, we will not be doomed to death or life according to the harassing spirits of the world, but according to the wisdom and law of the highest. Therefore, thought I, what God says is indeed best. To all the men in the world are against me, seeing that God prefers his religion and a tender conscience. I understand that he calls those people wise who make themselves fools for the kingdom of heaven and declares that the poor man who loves Christ is richer than the greatest man in the world who hates him. So I said, Shame, depart, for you are an enemy to my salvation. Shall I consider your arguments, shame, against my sovereign Lord? If so, then how can I look him in the face at his coming? Can I now be ashamed of his ways and servants and expect the blessing? Indeed, this shame was a bold villain. I could hardly get him to leave my company. He would haunt me and continually whisper in my ear about one or another of the infirmities that attend me. At last I told him it was useless for him to attempt to persuade me further, for those things that he disdained were the very things in which I saw the most glory. So at last I was able to leave the company of this unfortunate man. And when I had finally shaken him off, I began to sing. This shame is a very real villain. It will tell you, don't talk about Jesus at work. It will tell you, don't do that act of love and kindness for another. You can't afford it. It will tell you, hang on to what you have. It's all you're going to get. He will bring lie after lie that would cause you to be ashamed of who Jesus Christ is, this man of Galilee, this humble man who walked the dusty roads and then was stripped of his clothing, beaten and nailed to a cross. They would say, what a shame, useless shame. No, they don't understand. We've been called to the way of the cross. I would ask you today, are you primarily concerned with what others think about you? Are you a pleaser by nature that tries to get everyone to love you? Or are you simply willing to pour out your love and your acceptance to everyone and call them to follow Jesus? What kind of person are you? What kind of person are you? Does shame stop you in your tracks? I was in a public place with a small group of people. It was, in fact, a parking lot. There were many people around. And one of the members of the circle that was standing there had a, had a problem. And I said, well, let's pray about it right now. And one of them said, 
Pastor, you mean pray right here in public? Well, yes, that's what I mean. Is that a problem? Well, I don't know. I looked around with eyes rolling. I said, come on, let's pray. And so we did right there in public. I often will go with a friend to Panera and have a cup of coffee together. And we just find ourselves naturally sitting in Panera, crying out to the Lord, praying. Does it matter if others hear us pray? No, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we're praying. We're not ashamed of Jesus. Shame would say, don't you dare pray in public. Don't you dare carry your Bible where people can see it. Don't walk into Starbucks and carry a Bible and sit there and read it in the restaurant. What? Shame? Shame has no place in our lives except when we shame the name of Jesus. And he has shown me places where I have brought shame on his name. And every place where I have brought shame on the name of Jesus has been a place where I have thrust myself out to do what I wanted to do and what I thought needed to be done. And I've brought shame to the name of Jesus. I am absolutely clear. I have repented before Jesus for bringing shame to his name. So many times, I think I would learn. I've asked Jesus to teach me and to most severely deal with me if I am not consciously aware that I'm bringing shame to the name of Jesus. I want to bring honor and glory and praise to the name of Jesus. I don't want to shame him in front of family or friends. I don't want to shame him in the public realm. I don't want to shame him on this radio broadcast. I want the name of Jesus lifted up high. I praise and worship his name. Do you feel that way about Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Oh, I tell you today, I love Jesus. With all my heart, I love him. And this is not some intellectual, philosophical deal I have going with him. It's very personal. It's very real. I know Jesus. He walks with me and talks with me along the narrow way. He encourages my heart. Last week, I was really struggling just with my own stuff. And he very quietly said to me in my spirit, I love you, Ray. Oh, my whole world just was transformed. I went to the scriptures and found passage after passage where it says God loves you. Do you know God's love today? Do you know Jesus loves you today? One of my favorite songs. Little children's song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But when he tells me in my spirit and he speaks to me and he says, I love you, Ray. Whoa, that's awesome. I want you to hear today, 
Jesus loves you. Yes, I brought shame to the name of Jesus with my own arrogance and my own my own self. I'm ashamed of that. And I have turned aside from that. And I've asked that if in any way I begin to bring shame on the name of Jesus, he will discipline me most severely, turning my heart in his mercy that I would not be allowed to bring shame. I belong to Jesus, and I will not in any known way deliberately bring shame to the name of Jesus. But because I am a man, I make mistakes. That does not excuse my mistakes. I'm accountable for those mistakes. And I have to freely confess, I made a mistake. I was wrong. Please forgive me. I want to make it right. Now I say to you who are on the radio, if in any way what I have said to you by letter or on the air, if I have offended you with myself, please forgive me. If you have been offended by the straight word of God, then you deal with Jesus on that. But if I personally, the way I've presented it, the way I've spoken to you, if you have been offended by me, please forgive me. For I don't want to bring shame to the name of Jesus. He's everything to me. He's my breath. He's my life. He's my today. He's my tomorrow. I've given him everything into his hands. And I wait now for the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the endowment of power, when this radio broadcast will suddenly explode with joy reaching thousands of people. Only Jesus can do that. to go to FM, to go national. That's not my ambition. If Jesus wants that, he's going to bring that to pass. He's going to move in men and women who will give the resources, and it will be done. I wait on him. I thank each of you who has participated with me in this wondrous work of the gospel. There is no work more exciting, there's no work more necessary than the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I lay down my life for that work. And in the process of that work, I don't want to bring shame on the name of Jesus. I honor and glorify and praise him. Do you feel that way? If you do, I'd like to hear from you. I'm going to give you an address. I'd love to have you write to me. And then we're going to pray. And I'm going to pray for you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel. My name is Ray Greenley. I'm the pastor at the National Prayer Chapel. Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. 
That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now you can also go online. Our webpage is nationalprayerchapel.com. Nationalprayerchapel.com. You can also go on YouTube and just enter in National Prayer Chapel or Pastor Ray Greenley, and all the videos will show up. We have our own page, and there are lots and lots of videos and blogs for you to look at, listen to. Well, I've been sharing with you today from the book Pilgrim's Progress, a chapter entitled A Faithful Friend. I'm reading this by permission, and the one who edited this was C.J. Lovick, C.J. Lovick, and we've written and asked for permission. He has granted that. Now let me pray for you. Our Father, I come today humble of heart, recognizing that many times I have offended, I have hurt, I've walked in my own way, and for that you have severely disciplined me. Lord, I've brought shame to your name. I ask you to forgive me. Lord, I am willing to suffer for the sake of your kingdom, but I don't want to suffer for the sake of my foolishness. And Lord, I just bring to you men and women who are listening to this broadcast, who are proud of heart, arrogant Lord I ask that you would show them the way they're shaming your name and I ask that you would break the shame that they would come to you with a humble heart and confess their sin and repent that they would no longer shame you for you are the king of kings and the lord of lords and all honor glory and power belong unto you and Lord, there are others listening who have been followers of yours. And yet in the midst of following you, they have chosen their own course in their own way. They've set up their own doctrines, false doctrines that excuse their sin. And they've never really been born again. Lord, I'm praying today for those who are proud, haughty of spirit for those who don't understand the desperate position they're in. Lord, I'm praying for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit to every person listening today. I plead, Jesus, the blood, the blood shed on Calvary, that you would make atonement now very real for each of these dear ones listening, that not one would be lost, but you would grab a hold of them and bring them into that intimacy with yourself where they will with me say I will no longer bring shame to the name of Jesus he is everything to me Lord would you pour out that gift now would you bring that change now almighty God of heaven if we don't have you we don't have anything at all if our life is not filled with your love and joy and peace, 
How can it even be worth living? So Lord, would you come now very close to those who are listening? Would you bind up their wounds? Would you heal their hearts? Will you take away the shame that they have created? Lord, would you bring them to yourself? I pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. Thank you for joining this broadcast today. And I'll talk to you again soon. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.